My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The income in the first couple of years wasn't that great, but um, uh, I think after the two years, once you've established yourself, then, you know, um, your income starts, starts improving. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking to professional real estate agent Winston White. Growing up in a mining town, White had an interest in property from a young age, renovating and selling 15 properties himself and acquired another 20 properties for clients. Tune in to learn about his highs and lows of renovations and much, much more. To start with, White tells us a little bit about his background and what he has been doing in the realm of property. I've been a a property professional since uh, 2001. Um, You know, uh, I I guess I'm brought up in a a place called the Pilbara. It's a mining town up in Western Australia as well. Um, Immigrated from New Zealand um, and always had an interest in in property uh, as as well from a very young age. Uh, So, I guess uh, I, I started um, renovating properties and selling them for, for profit. Didn't really know what I was doing uh, a lot, but uh, had some really good results, had some not, not so good results. Um, and then I, I decided that, you know, um, to go and get you know, licensed as an agent. So I, I knew all the ins and outs as well. So that was the first part of the journey. And then I, I ended up working for a property developers and builders in in Perth um, because I wanted to know a little bit more about property development uh, as well. Um, Did quite a few of my own renovations and subdivisions uh, as as well. So uh, retaining the the front lot and and building behind, et cetera, et cetera, and learned quite a lot uh, from that experience as well. So um, uh, worked with another... Worked with another company um, where uh, I was typically a buyer's agent uh, as well. And uh, I guess, you know, um, that really opened my eyes to uh, how to negotiate with with sellers and buyers and and getting favourable terms on both sides of the fence so everybody uh, ends up having a win. So, uh, you know, that, that was really beneficial. On any given day, White works as a buyer's agent helping vendors who might be struggling to sell their properties as well as a selling agent. 
Uh, so what I do at the moment is, so I suppose you could best um, describe it as a buyer's agent. So I'm, I'm helping people in the property who can't get mainstream finance um, as well. And, and I'm helping uh, sellers to, to move their properties uh, who may be struggling to sell in, uh, in, in a downturn market. Because um, we've been here in Perth, we've been in the doldrums for the last four years. Buyer's agent plus, you know, um, part selling agent as well. So um, I suppose you can call it a hybrid <laughs> type as well. Uh, yes. So I, I'm sort of pre-qualifying uh, buyers. Uh, you know, I, I typically I'm looking for where are most of the problems and the biggest problems in any markets for buyers is that most of them don't have the big deposit to get into property. Um, so we've we've got a number of solutions to actually help them uh, uh, raise the deposit so they can get into property. Obviously, they still need the income to service the debt. That's very smart because um, most people who go, okay, can't, can't afford to buy a property will just you know, uh, walk away the situation and maybe come back in a few years' time when they do have more money. But if you're looking from that kind of point of view, because I guess you're looking to try and help turn over property, then that's a really, really good option for them because some people do want to get in but uh, just don't know how. So that's great that you're offering that. Yeah, so and it, it's quite a large market as well. Born in New Zealand, White and his family came over to a mining town in Western Australia when he was eight years old in 1976. He tells us about his early years growing up in this town and going to school there. Most of my schooling, my primary school was up there. I did some of the high school. Then um, I, I went to boarding school down here uh, in, in Perth as well. So, um, um, yeah, that was an interesting experience. And then, um, yeah, but most of my schooling and, uh, and teenage years was, was in the Pilbara. The Pilbara's, it's... It's basically uh, an iron ore mining town. Um, so, you know, I, I guess it's very, very community orientated. The population was only, you know, 20,000 at the most. Um, but everybody knew everybody. Um, and I guess you, you sort of spend a lot of time playing sport or you're camping, fishing, a lot of outdoor activities uh, as well. So as kids, we... Uh, we, we certainly didn't spend much time indoors playing video games, that, that's for sure. <laughs> White believes it was quite a bold move for his father and mother to move from New Zealand to Australia, and a good decision because the town he lived in was very multicultural, and that meant he grew up around many different cultures. Uh, it was a pretty bold move from my, my father and mother to, to make that, but um, I, I guess it was a really good decision for them to do that because uh, uh, the Pilbara was actually very multicultural uh, as well. So a lot of people from New Zealand, you know, a lot of Islanders, uh, a lot of Europeans, you know, so um, I was brought up um, respecting all cultures, really. We, we had a lot of Muslims in our community as well, which were you know, very cool people. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I guess being brought up in a multicultural town like that, where everyone's up there to to earn money in the mining industry, um, it was a, 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 a you took it for granted that you were in a, a small community where everyone knew everybody, and and, and certainly most of the time people got on uh, as well. So, uh, yeah. Um, and and being exposed to so many different cultures that. 
you know, uh, as, a, as a young person, I thought every, everywhere's the same until you actually leave that environment and find that it's, it's not the same everywhere around. <laughs> Moving to Pilbara was a good financial opportunity for White and his family. A lot of people had their accommodation paid for and all their outgoings, you know, so the outgoings were very small. I think Dad only got deducted $30 a week to, for uh, housing and, you know, all the power was all paid for. So it was, it was a very good opportunity uh, financially as well. He tells us a little bit about working in real estate was much different in the mining town he grew up than in Perth. Uh, that was during high school. I went went to boarding school, so um, you know a lot of country, a lot of country people went down to a uh, boarding school here in Perth, um, uh, which was yeah, which was, it was an interesting experience as well. But when I moved down here, um, you know, I, I was I was doing uh, real estate in the Pilbara uh, as well, so it's it's a lot different mentality up there. Uh, particularly in a small community where everybody knows everybody, um, you know, typically business was, I mean, I'd, I'd go to the pub on a Friday night and walk out with five listings, for, for example. That, that, that's, that's how, you, you know, being, playing a lot of sport and being well-known up there was, uh, yeah, it was quite easy to, to do business up there, but coming down to Perth, that's a, that's a totally different story. I, I, nobody knew who I was, so I actually had to get out and, and work. After White finished boarding school, he went back out to Pilbara to work in the mines, but he soon got bored of the job and wanted to pursue something else. So in the mines back then, it was very union orientated, so we, we didn't do a lot of work. Uh, we were basically driving around playing cards all day. Uh, yeah, it was pretty boring. I just knew people who were doing quite well in property, uh, renovating uh, and, and buying property uh, as well. So I always had an interest on that and started reading a few books, of course, and um, going to a few seminars and listening. And, and then I just decided that uh, uh, I, I knew one of the licensees up there, uh, knew their whole family quite well. And uh, yeah, he was a very good mentor. Uh, to me as well. So, At first, education wasn't a pressing issue for White because in Pilbara, people based their business dealings on whether they knew, trusted and liked you. But when it came down to Perth, he realised he needed to get some qualifications if he wanted to compete with other people for positions. Education wasn't, wasn't big for me back then um, until I actually left the Pilbara. And then I thought, you know what, I, I don't you know, because I kept missing out on positions because people wanted, you know, more qualifications. Uh, so that's uh, in the Pilbara, uh, I guess, you know, um, I, I won a few awards up there, um, it, mainly because I, I suppose being well-known up there and playing a lot of sport and, and being well-liked uh, as well. So, you know, people tended to, to like me and trust me. Um, so they going to a pub on a Friday night and walking out with six listings is, is not exaggerating uh, as, as well. So, yeah, that, that served me quite well. But when I left and come down to Perth, I mean, you know, I kept missing out on positions where, that I applied for because people wanted, you know, qualifications. And that's when I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to work and then I'll, I'll study part-time. So I went back and did a, a Bachelor of Commerce and Property Valuations and Property Development. 
Establishing himself in Perth as a real estate agent was not easy, and it took a number of years before White was able to make a name for himself. Uh, I came into Perth was 2001. Uh, I I come down, so um, yeah, so it was, you know, I, I had to find something really quickly, and uh, I was enjoying the the real estate side of things. Uh, as well, there were parts of it I didn't like, but obviously, um, you know, uh, coming down and I thought it was it was another challenge uh, and trying to make a, a name for yourself down here. It took a number of years before you started really uh, establishing yourself, I guess. Uh, just as a normal real estate agent, um, list, listing and selling. Um, and um, I, I can remember the crazy hours we used to do uh, to, to get our names out there, you know, so it, um, doing 10, 12-hour days, six, seven days a week was pretty common back then. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I guess the, the income in the first couple of years wasn't that great. But um, uh, I think after the two years, once you've established yourself, then, you know, um, your income starts, starts improving from there. After about three years in the real estate business, White began to work with a lot of developers, helping them to move their stock and although this allowed him to learn more about property development and in particular apartments, he eventually decided it wasn't for him. After about um, three years, uh, thereabouts, or three and a half, I, I actually started working with a lot of developers and moving their stock. Um, so, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to go and work with one of the, the developers. Um, he was a very good salesperson, mind you, so... Uh, um, you know, he said instead of listing properties one by one, you can have access to, to 30 or 40 properties straight away. So um, I thought it was an opportunity and I, I went to wait for the developer um, in, in selling apartments uh, as well. So learned learned quite a lot in the apartment space. So th- that's what it was, was project marketing uh, as well. So a lot of off-the-plan um, stock um, and also there was some stock that was actually completed so we'd you know we'd, we'd sell completed stock as well so yeah big big learning curve um, but it I'm glad I did that because then you know I thought you know what I uh, after uh, after about two or three years of doing that I I actually thought the strata levies and everything else like that um, I, I actually thought that some of the strata levies and the the apartments, um, from an investment point of view, uh, I, I just didn't believe in the product anymore. So I I went to work for a builder uh, as well, so doing health and land packages. Coming up after the break, hear about White's first property, which he renovated to increase the value. This particular property was right on the coast. Uh, uh, so standing, you know, had a massive big patio uh, overlooking the, the ocean. How his property journey progressed. Ended up selling that um, and, and coming down to Perth uh, with, with, the, um, uh, with the amount of cash that I, I made off that. Um, and ended up buying a number of uh, some properties down here uh, as well. His biggest aha moment on his property journey? I found this earlier is that, you know, if you're, 
if you're genuinely looking for solutions for people's problems um, and, and you go there with that sort of mentality, then people know they can feel that you're actually trying to help them uh, as well. All that and more coming up after the break. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. White's first property was up in Port Hedland where he saved up to $10,000, all that he needed to save back then and purchase a property for $175,000. That was my first property um, and I I renovated it uh, as well so to increase the value. So when I actually left, I ended up selling it for, I think it was two seventy five. dollars So that was about five years later. I guess I, I just wanted, so this is, um, obviously a property I wanted to live in so uh, I've got a big connection to the ocean um, as well so I just want to be close to the coast. This particular property was right on the coast uh, uh, so standing, you know, had a massive big patio uh, overlooking the, the ocean so when I, I thought it was just really cheap to be uh, right on the ocean. So it sat there for a little while because um, uh, people weren't very big on fibro homes uh, uh, fibro, I mean, it's like fibre cement sheeting. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't see an issue with it. And it also had um, a lot of uh, big trees and uh, a lot of maintenance that needed to be done on the, on the property as well. So to have something coastal like that, that's I, I just thought it was really cheap. Um, and and uh, they were asking you know, 190, so I, I went in at 179 or 175. Can't remember, it's that long ago. How did you come across this particular property and why did you choose that particular area as well? That particular area was, you know, because um, uh, in, in that particular town there, it's divided up to where all the white-collar workers tend to live. Um, so, you know, you and it was a really good neighbourhood uh, as well, so I just thought it, and I saw it was right on the coast. Um, and back in those days, I mean, obviously we didn't have internet. Uh, I'd have to go into the real estate agency and pick up a brochure and and flick through the the brochure to have a look what what was available. And then you basically had to drive around and and uh, see, have a look at most of the properties. But as soon as I pulled up and I saw that property, and I uh, there was no one living in there, I actually. I walked in and I stood under the under the patio and I could see the ocean. You know, it, it's just uh, I was almost sold then. Um, so, so you know, just the location being on the ocean and uh, I, I could see myself spending a lot of time out on the the patio because the patio was massive; it was bigger than the house uh, as well. So, and that's exactly what we did. We, you know, all our meals most nights were barbecues under the patio overlooking the ocean. Despite buying this property near the ocean as a principal place of residence initially, White ended up selling it and this kick-started his property investing journey. Ended up selling that um, and, and coming down to Perth uh, with, with, the, um, uh, with the amount of cash that I, I made off that um, and ended up buying a number of investment properties down here uh, as well. So uh, just renovations alone for buying and selling uh, flips or, or, or whatever you want to call them, 
um, trading properties, I'd, I'd say there'd be at least 15 uh, as well. So that that was, you know, uh, I also worked for a company that uh, teaches people how to buy properties, renovate, subdivide. So, you know, with that company, there'd probably be another 20 that I I helped acquire would renovate and sell them, and then um, you know between the owner and I, we would split the profits um, as well. So that that worked really well, and um, we mainly did um, you know kitchens and bathrooms, just just renovating them, uh, floor coverings, light fittings, uh, rendering the front. We wouldn't do any major extensions, but uh, and then we turn them over. Generally, every two to three months, we'd we turn them over. We wouldn't do any major extensions, but uh, and then we'd turn them up. One of his worst investing moments was in 2008 when the market started to plummet and people weren't buying property anymore or gave offers that were too low. I guess uh, 2009, um, you know, people talk about 2009, but it was actually 2008 that uh, the market started to plummet. Um, and uh, I suppose 2006 was when, you know, you, you could basically get uh, sign a stat deck and get, get a loan. Um, but the, the market started free-falling around the end of 2008. So we had probably two projects that we hadn't quite finished. Uh, we were about to go to market. Um, and when we do, did complete them, you know, they, they sat on the market for, well, just no one was buying back then as well. So... Uh, we were forced to to rent them out um, because uh, the offers we were getting were, you know, were, there, there was just no money in it uh, as well. So, you know, we were forced to rent them out and uh, and wait for the market to recover. And it took a number of years for the market to recover. So it it took another three or four years before the market did recover from to the end of two thousand and eight. He goes into depth about this particular property that was one of his lows on his property journey which due to market timing and a tenant wasn't able to sell. When we actually purchased it at the time, because uh, I, I don't know if you know, people remember 2006 and seven, the market was, was growing almost on a quarterly basis uh, as well. So because of the subprime lending, um, you know, so money was freely available for people to buy property and, and that's exactly what happened. So we, we purchased the property uh, up in the hills um, and uh, it was five acres. We paid what we thought at the time was a really good price. Um, the owner, you know, he, all he wanted was that uh, he just wanted his debt gone and he wanted enough to buy a caravan. So we, we gave him what he wanted. But, you know, the, the, the real value, I thought we, we purchased that for at least 100 grand under, under market. Um, and so we, we thought we'd spend another 30 to 40K to increase the value by another 50 grand. So, you know, potentially we could have made um, at least 100K uh, gross profit out of that, that property once we sold it. But, of, of course, once we uh, finished the renovations, um, that one took a little bit longer. To, to finish because the the owner said he was moving out on such and such a date, but he didn't end up moving till a lot longer. So we we it actually held up our renovation. Um, so that was one learning curve is that once we 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 agreed a 
to purchase the property that um you know uh, that we we make sure everyone's out of the property <laughs> so uh the the renovations took a lot longer to to complete um because uh he just didn't want to move until he was ready so it, it you know he stayed there for an extra four months uh which we still had to pay um um uh, and and of course we could have gone to the court and you know but the time we would have gone through and spent all the money to to get him out of the property uh, would have taken that that long anyway. Um, and so you know, when he finally moved out and we finally got in to to do the renovations, I mean you know that that took another uh, at least six weeks. So and then by the time we put it on the market, you know the market was already starting to. Um, uh, started to fall. Uh, well, well, the news and the media, which most people are influenced by, was wasn't good as well. So, yeah. So it, it just, you know, we're talking five acres in a four bedroom, two bathroom home, um, which you know the renovations were really nice. Um, it, it just, you know, just uh, if if we if we purchased and renovated. Uh, in our time frame, we we would have sold it and still made money, um, but um, you know, because it took so long, uh, the market it swung very very quickly uh, as well. So yeah, just unfortunate that things like that happen. The owner, because I I'd moved on from that company, um, but um, you know he did end up selling it in 2012. Um, still, still made a, a reasonable profit, um, and, and still made a profit. So, you know, uh, but he had to wait a lot longer to, to do that. A light bulb moment for White was when he realised a genuine desire to help people reap rewards and decided on splitting profits on commission with the vendors. An aha moment was was a big one, and uh, I found this earlier is that you know if you're if you're genuinely looking for solutions for people's problems um, and, and you go there with that sort of mentality, then people know they can feel that you're actually trying to help them uh, as well. So that's when, you know, so, some of these renovations, um, we, were, we were allowed to access the property without even buying them um, as well. So. We would access the property, renovate it, then sell it, and sometimes we'd pay the the seller more money than um, than he could get on on a normal sale as well. So we'd cut him in on the profit. I guess the the, the property we come across was in a in a suburb called Subiaco, and Subiaco is quite a affluent, you know, high end type suburb. As well, so the place was an old character home. It was run down. You know, the, it was a divorce. Uh, she just didn't have the money to spend on doing the renovations. So she knew if she spent money on renovations, that she would get a lot more money for the, the property. Um, so you know, the, the paperwork involved in that was was typically uh, um, we had an option on the property to buy at a predetermined price. Uh, we had a time frame. We would spend the, the money on the renovations, and then we would go to market as well. So, you know, obviously we got 
Uh, we got a lawyer involved to write up the paperwork. She went to her lawyer to make sure that everything was as we agreed upon. Um, and then we, we spent the money on the renovations and went to market. We increased the value on that property by 250 grand, but we only spent about 50 grand on the property. The vendor was very happy with it, with that result. I mean, she knew that, you know, if she went to market as it is now, that, you know, all she would attract was uh, low ballers. Um, whereas if she, she spent some money, which she didn't have, um, um, you know, that, that would increase it. So, yeah, we ended up getting a really good result on that. So we, we actually gave her 10% more of the profits and she was very happy with that as well. And now she's become a client for life, I would, I would say. The vendor was very happy with it, with that result. I mean, she knew that, you know, if she went to market as it is now, that, you know, she, all she would attract was uh, low ballers. Um, whereas if she, she spent some money, which she didn't have, um, um, you know, that, that would increase it. So, yeah, we ended up getting a really good result on that. So we, we actually gave her 10% more of the profits and she was very happy with that as well. We ended up getting a really good result on that. So we, we actually gave her 10% more of the profits and she was very happy with that as well. So, inspired by his story, we'll continue the conversation with Winston White in a future episode of Property Invest Story, where we'll learn more about his strategies for investment. So, um, you know, what what that means is, you know, typically, um, if I'm buying the property and I, I don't want to put 20% deposit down, I, I might ask the vendor if they can leave some of the deposit on the table. The mentors that have helped him on his journey so, you know, obviously working with Jill McIntyre, who I've been working with her for about three years now, it's, you know, she actually installed a lot of, a lot of self-belief that, um, um, and, and bigger goals as well. As well as the daily habits that keep him on track. So always updating skills and, um, and mindset, I think is really important. All this and much more on a future episode of Property Investory skills and um, and mindset, I think is really important. All this and much more on a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 